So I said we're, we're starting a new series today called Go Love. And I wanted to open up with these words from 1 John as we get into it. Starting in verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. These are the words that uh, this author opens up his letter to, writing uh, in, the, in the first century, writing to the early church, those who are following Jesus, this movement of people who have come together and decided uh, that the, there's something else going on in this world. There's a different kind of kingdom that is at hand, and that kingdom is found through Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection. As they talk about what they have experienced here, I think that the language is interesting. They start saying, this is something that we have heard, but it's also something that we have seen. It's something that we have touched. This is something that they have experienced. And they, they can testify to it. They can talk about it because they've experienced it as something that is tangible, that has happened in their hearts, and they want other people to know what has happened. For the early church, the Gospels, this message that they carried was not just a philosophy or this knowledge that they had about something, but it was something that they were a witness to. It was something that they experienced, and they said, this was real. We witnessed it, and we want you to know about it. What this message was all about was that God is love. And this God who is love loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. This is a message that was compelling, not because it was just a philosophy, but because it was something that people experienced. Right now, the NBA playoffs are going on, and uh, the Suns are not in it again. <laughs> so I'm not nearly as interested as I usually am, but it's, I do have a few like, rooting interests. But uh, I went to college in Indiana, and so I'm kind of like, would love to see the Pacers uh, go. They don't really have like a star um, but, you know, they're kind of like the team from the Eastern Conference that if the Suns aren't in it, I'd love to see them win. They're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James. LeBron James, who is probably the best basketball player in this generation. Yes. And it's interesting because this is a big debate about how great LeBron James is. Uh, and if you remember LeBron James, especially early on in his career, there was this credo that said, we are witnesses to LeBron James, or witnesses to his greatness. And then, uh, I don't know if you were watching the game the other night, or at the end of the game, he grabs the ball out from out of bounds, the clock is ticking down from five seconds, drives to the three-point line, shoots a three-pointer, and makes it to win the game at the buzzer. And everyone goes nuts, and everyone talks about, this is greatness. We're witnessing greatness, the best basketball player this generation's ever seen. But I'm old enough to remember a man named Michael Jordan in his prime. And I witnessed what Michael Jordan did and know in my mind without a doubt that he is the greatest basketball player of all time. 
And a lot of people who have witnessed that know because when we see something, when we experience something, it changes how we think. For LeBron James, this is like the latest and greatest thing. It's fresh on our minds. So, of course, we think that he's the greatest. But when we witness something, when we experience it, it changes how we think about it. And especially for the early church, they're saying that what happened with Jesus, we actually were there to witness it. And it's changed who we are. And we want you to know this is something that we have seen. This is something that we have heard. This is something that we have touched. And it's real. And we're writing to you to make our joy complete because we want you to be part of this story of God's love. And as John is writing, he's, he's kind of talking about who God is. And there's two things he kind of wants us to know about God. One is that, that God is self-revealing. And the second is that God is self-giving. This God who, who is love uh, is self-revealing and he's self-giving. And this is how he kind of builds his argument on that. In, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not, know, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John wants us to know that God is self-revealing, that God is self-giving. And he talks about this idea of, of God and his love. I heard it once said that when it comes to the, these writers in the New Testament, to the apostles, it said, Paul was the apostle of faith. Peter was the apostle of hope. James was the apostle of good works. But John was the apostle of love, of love. And he drives home this message in his letter that God is love. This is his character. This is, this is who he is. And when we love, we know God. God is the source of our love. And yet God is also what empowers us to love others. Other people know God's love because of it. And love is a, a word that it's really kind of hard to just to talk about and define. Um, we'll say that, you know, I love tacos. Let's talk about Desert City. I'm a big Taco Tuesday fan. And so I, I love tacos. And at the same time, I love my children. I'll use the same word to describe my affection towards my children. And you, 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 I say love, I love tacos and I love children. And you think, well, that doesn't, there, there's something that's missing there, right? That, that word you can't use that same word for how you feel towards your children as that how you feel towards tacos. It's because we have one word that means love. For the Greeks, they had a little more pre precision with their idea of what love was. The author C.S. Lewis kind of talks about the concept of love and, and their mindset and how there's four different loves that they would, they would use to kind of talk about their, how their heart goes out. One of the words is this word storge which is this empathy or bond, this like-mindedness. There's this feeling of 
of, uh, of empathy, love, relational. Then philia, which is a friendship bond. This is like maybe Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is maybe a little bit deeper. This is the bonds of brotherhood or sisterhood of love. Eros is just where we get the idea of the kind of the erotic love they would use. This a lot of like, you know, Greek tragedies, you'd find this word popping up. And then there's the word agape. Agape. Agape love, which is unconditional self-sacrificing love. It's something that is divine. It's something that is uh, that, that requires something from you. There's a sacrifice with this kind of love. I was reading about how with these different concepts of love with the Greeks, this, this word agape actually wasn't really used very often in their vernacular until the Christians come along. And they take this concept of love and they start to describe what God is doing. And when John is writing about what God is like and what God is up to in this world and what God invites us into, it's this agape-type love. Love that is unconditional. And all of a sudden it becomes one of the most popular terms for love. I was trying to understand kind of like how the vernacular changes and how this new word comes into it and becomes so popular. It's describing something that they've all experienced. And we see that with words in our culture today or different phrases in our culture today. We were talking in the office and, you know, Tyler's younger than me and he's a lot like hipper and, and knows like what the cool kids, you know, are saying in the schools and that kind of thing. And we were talking about like, like social media, how it has this this pull to, to make us feel like we're missing out on something. And so, like, if you're on social media, like, we're finding out, like, there's all these, you know, uh, research coming out that, like, if you're on social media, you're probably going to have depression, and you're seeing, like, everyone else's highlight reel. And, and we were talking, like, what is that? Like, you, when, I, when I see, like, you know, pictures of, of something that's happening that I'm not a part of, I feel like I'm missing out. And Tyler's like, you know there's actually a term for that. It's FOMO. And I was like, FOMO? What is FOMO? He's like, F-O-M-O. It's fear of missing out, man. And I was like, that's a thing? And he's like, yeah. Like, everyone knows, like, that, you know, you want to, like, you know, if you're, if you're, like, if you have a business and you're trying to promote it, you want to create FOMO so people feel like they're missing out. It's this fear of missing out. And I was like, I had no idea that was a concept. And, and it's this term that all of a sudden describes, like, what's really going on. It gives it, like, it kind of codifies what we're all feeling. In the early church, they take this agape love and this concept of this unconditional divine love and they take the term and it goes viral. This is who God is. God is is love. He's unconditional love. And he invites us to love others in such a way, a self-sacrificing love. We are created by love. We are created by this God who is love We're created for love. We're redeemed by love. And we're invited to this life of love as well. The author Philip Yancey, uh, this Christian author who um, used to read a lot a long time ago. haven't read him as much um, lately. Um, But he brought up this point that I found interesting when it comes to this idea of understanding God's love. He talks about how sociologists have this theory of looking glass self. The looking glass self. And it's, it's basically this idea that socialists are saying that you become what the most important people in your life uh, think about you. So what, what the most important people in your life think about you, you have this tendency of wrapping up your identity 
in that. This is why like, teachers have such a huge influence on, um, on, on our future because they're speaking into the life of young people every single day. Um, this is why marrying uh, someone who, who, who wants to pull out the best of you is so, so important because so much of like we're just psychologically wired that what other people think about us, we get our own identity wrapped up in that. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. It's just something that we kind of naturally do as humans. And Yancey says, like with this concept of this looking glass self, how would it change your life? If you truly believed the Bible's outstanding words of what God thinks of you. Like, what if you, you look in the mirror and you see what God sees? How would that change how you live? Your own identity wrapped up in what the most important being in this world thinks about you. And what John is saying here is that God is love. And he loves you so much that he's laid down his life for you. Your life matters. Your life is worth God's sacrifice. There's this identity that is wrapped up as we see this self-revealing, self-giving God who loves us so much. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It's, it's to come to this understanding of the love of God the God that loves me so much that all of the things that are bad about me, he does whatever it takes to heal those things, to restore those things, to redeem those things, even giving his life on the cross. We are created from love for love. With that identity comes the calling. And of all the reasons we exist as a church, and I believe that there's, there's multiple reasons of why a church exists, for corporate worship, for discipleship, for the proclamation of this message, for the distribution of the sacraments, for community. Uh, for, for all sorts of reasons we exist as a church, we exist as a community of love. God is love. Invites us to love others. And this is something that we have to get right as followers of Jesus. How we love, how we do things in this world matters if it's done with great love. 1 Corinthians 13, this is like the wedding, the wedding chapter, but such a great explanation of, of what's going on here. It says, if I speak in the tongues of angels, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Everything that we do as a church is grounded in this idea that we do it because God is love. Because God loved us and he invites us to love others with this agape type of love. And here's what happens when, when we do that. Love makes the invisible God visible to the world. John says, no one has seen God. And yet as a community loves each other and loves neighbors, this God becomes visible. There's this witness. We experience something that we have 
seen and heard and touched. It's this tangible kingdom. Love makes the invisible God visible. When Jesus was alive, the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and they ask him, are you the one that is to come? And there's this interesting story that takes place in Luke 7, verses 20 through 23. It says, when men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many of, who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And Jesus says, you want to know if I'm the one or not to come look around me. Look at the fruit of what I'm doing with my life. There's evidence. There is evidence here. And I believe the same is true for the church. As we love others, we make the invisible God visible. This is the best apologetic in this world, is how we love, how we love, how we live matters. A couple definitions is of love. What, it, what does it mean then to love? Uh, what is love? Uh, the great poet of the 1990s, Hathaway, what is love, baby? Don't hurt me. It's a great philosophical question. But what is love? I read this the other day, and I thought it was, was great. It was an anonymous uh, kind of poem, but it says, what is love? It is silence when your words hurt. It is patience when your neighbors curt. It is deafness when a scandal flows. It is thoughtfulness for others' woes. It is promptness when stern duty calls. And it is courage when misfortune falls. What is love? Going back to first. Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. One of the things that uh, I, I have found is a good discipline in my life, and I know that I've shared it here um, one of the things that we do when we do like kind of premarital counseling with a couple that's about to get married is you want to know kind of a good um, uh, kind of measurement of, of how you're loving well is to take this verse and to take the word love out of it and replace it with your name. Could this verse still be true if your name was in the place of love? Because then it would read like this, Jared is patient, Jared is kind, Jared does not envy Jared does not boast. Jared is not proud. Usually I have to stop like right about here and say, I can't go on. But Jared does not dishonor others. Jared is not self-seeking. Jared is not easily angered. Jared keeps no record of wrongs. Jared does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Jared always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Jared never fails. If you want to know kind of like maybe just a little uh, measurement of where you're at when it comes to loving others, place your name in there and see if you can still read it. The way that we love others makes God visible. And we're called to this life of love. Again, John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. This is love. Not that this is something that we could do or accomplish, but this is something that God has done through his son, Jesus. He has shown us what love is in the self-sacrificing love. As humans, we're created in the image of God. We've talked before about this idea of how we're the imago Dei, the image of God. And we know, like, as humans, though, we are broken, we are selfish, we fail. We can't read that 1 Corinthians with our name in place of love. And yet God loves us so much that he sends Jesus into this world. And there's this kind of new concept that I've, I've heard of when it's talking about how we're creating the image of God. There's this other concept that is the Imago Christi, the image of Christ. This is something as a church we're called to, the imitation of Christ, to be Christ-like in everything that we do. This is what discipleship is all about. It's becoming more like Jesus, who is love. And we're called to living life as Jesus did. Which means that the gospel is not just this philosophy about something, but it's an invitation to live a different type of life that reflects God in this world. As followers of Jesus, we're called to reflect the love of God to others in everything that we do. So how does this play out? How do we practically do this? Our thought as we were kind of going into this series and talking about what does it mean for us as a church to love others well, um, our initial thought is like, well, we have to plan events for people to love, you know, to get them to be intentional about loving. And we've planned a bunch of events. But one of the things that we don't want to do is say, like, we don't want to compartmentalize this idea of love. We want to become love to our community. So we have planned these events because I think what happens is when we're serving together in community, it shakes us loose of some of maybe our apathy to the world around us. So a couple of things that we have planned that I just want to draw to your attention this month. The first is a, is a work day down at UMOM Day Center. This is a, a, a homeless shelter that we've worked with since we've uh, started as a church. Um, and there's a work day coming up on Saturday, um, May 12th. Uh, another event that we have is a uh, is the World Vision Moon Valley 6K race. Um, some of you know that we've got the Alta Villas at, at this church, Christine and Robert. Um, they were, uh, are advocates for, for World Vision and made a bunch of us run a marathon a couple months ago. <laughs> or a half marathon. It felt like a marathon. <laughs> I think after like 10 miles, it's all, you're just dead. But uh, they have an event coming up where they do this race and it, it raises water or raises uh, resources for water in Africa and uh, have invited us to come and serve. Whether you want to run or just show up and serve, we could use help at that. Another event that's coming up is a, a food packing event with Feed My Starving Children. Uh, some of you are familiar with this organization. We come, uh, there's a food packing where we, we put together um, um, uh, food that we can ship to the developing world. That's coming up later this month. Those are a couple of just practical steps um, that we can take to love others well. Um, some of you know Teach One to Lead One is this mentoring program that works in our school system, uh, uh, working with these uh, different universal principles of, of leadership, talking about integrity, different ways that we can um, help just impact our school district. And uh, they have a graduation coming up. Um, if you're interested in, in helping with that, you can talk to Richard. I think he's here uh, today. Um, two of the things that we're doing this month as well is summer is coming, and it's about to get really hot. It's kind of like hot already. Um, which I, I kind of am excited about, but 
but in, in a city like Phoenix where there's, there's so much uh, brokenness and, and there's homeless everywhere, um, one of the things that we can do that's very practical as a church is a water drive with the Phoenix Rescue Mission. So for the next month, we're inviting you to bring water bottles um, on Sunday, and at the end of the month, we're going to take it down to the Phoenix Rescue Mission. And we're also doing a drive for heat relief packs um, for this summer. And so there's some information on, on the handout that different ways to get involved. But then there's also ways that you, practical steps, ideas for you to love your neighbors and want to run through these. Um, one is to buy a bouquet of flowers and give them to coworkers or a stranger. Not like in a weird way, but like in a way that would, would bless someone. Um, the next is, and here's something that I, I've kind of found is just a good practice in my life. Um, next time you see a police officer, firefighter, or military personnel at a coffee shop, just buy them coffee. Um, I've been doing that lately, and uh, it's kind of a cool like, surprise you can do for people. And uh, a way to just bless, bless people who put their life on the line um, every single day. Uh, check in with an elderly neighbor. Uh, if they need yard work, help. Uh, gather family and friends and maybe do some things that they are limited physically to do. Have eyes to see that. And prepare care packages for military serving overseas. This is something that my mom, uh, our, our grandma, uh, uh, for our kids, came over to her house and, and did a couple weeks ago just to put together packages to send overseas. Invite someone to dinner uh, who you know doesn't have family in town. Or really invite someone to dinner, just invite someone to dinner. Just make time in your schedule to connect with someone else. And then if you know an elderly person that doesn't drive, offer to take them uh, to church. Um, that's always something that is just a blessing, um, and it's not easy to do. Uh, but, but what are some just practical ways that we can say we, we want to live out love in our community? We want to be intentional with it, especially this month, because this is who we are. Our identity as followers of Jesus is one of love. Um, I'm going to close with this story. I, I think I've told it before, and um, it's one of my favorite stories, but there's this old theologian named N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, for those who are uh, friendly uh, to him. Uh, but he, he lives over in England, and, um, and a few years back came over to the U.S. and to New York uh, to see uh, a ballet. And there was, uh, there was this famous ballerina, this, this world-renowned ballerina who's from Russia that was in town, and he thought... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to miss out on this, so he goes to the show, and he watches this, this ballerina perform for, for two hours, and he says as he, as he watched her perform, he just felt his heart stirred to, to deep sadness and to, to great joy. There was this, all these extremes of emotions that then went as he just watched her, her dance, and it was just this very moving performance where it was, you could tell it was coming from the soul of the ballerina, and, and, and you could try to interpret what she was communicating uh, in this performance. And afterwards, he, he went after the show, like the, the press was there, and they were kind of interviewing this world-renowned ballerina, talking about this performance that she just put on. And he said one of the, uh, the reporters asked her, and um, something that, that you know, we, we always want to like, like package something really nicely um, into like a one phrase or one sentence. And the, and the reporter asked her, if you could just convey the message of your dance, this, this great ballet, into one sentence, how would you describe it? How would you summarize it? And the ballerina looked at the reporter and said, if I could convey this message that I just spent two hours dancing into one sentence, I wouldn't spend two hours performing it, dancing it. 
And there are some things in this life that move you in a way that you can't just simply codify into a sentence. There was this experience of everyone that was there that saw this ballet dancer, and something inside them changed and was moved as they experienced and witnessed and heard and saw the performance. And then T. Wright was talking uh, about this story, and he said he just realized this is what the gospel is. This story of God's love that we are all a part of. It's not just something that we just package into the sentence. It's, it, it's something that we live and dance and people around us witness. The gospel must be danced in our community. So for the next month, we're going to just kind of look at diff- different practical ways to love others with this agape love. To love others in a way that, that stirs hearts, that moves people to joy, that people can witness and say, this God who is love, who reveals his love in Jesus Christ is real because I witnessed it. And that is our hope and our desire. Five words for this month uh, for us as a community. Love Jesus and love like Jesus. That is our credo for this month. Love Jesus and love like Jesus. Um, Tim's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to close with a time of prayer. And uh, in communion. And uh, communion for us is something we do each week. It represents the story of God's love. Uh, the bread, the juice, represent uh, the, the incarnation of Christ. As John says, this is what love is. God loved the world and sent his son here, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And as we go to the communion table, we remember and we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus And then we say, we live this out as a community as well. We want to be a community that dances the gospel. Let's pray. When you're ready, feel free to move to communion. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your love for us. That you created us from love. That you see us in the midst of our brokenness and sin as worthy to be redeemed. We're so grateful for that, Lord. We pray that we would uh, prioritize our lives around this message of love. It wouldn't be something we compartmentalize. It wouldn't be something that uh, we uh, become apathetic towards. But it would be something that is true because we've experienced it and it's transformed our heart to be more like you. And Lord, I just pray your blessing on us this month that that this would be a week, a month that we just love others well. That your love would flow out of us to our neighbors, to our coworkers that are so hard to love sometimes, to our families, that we would make you visible to the world because of how we love. We pray your blessing on us today, Lord. Amen.